1, 15 to 23. I'm going to read that now if you want to follow along. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself carved image, a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. <clears throat> you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. And then Colossians 1, 15 to 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominion, dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Please bow your heads. Dear Lord, I thank you so much um, for um, your presence on this property and this, the community that you've created here, and we pray for it to uh, continue to grow um, with your love and your mercy, and just pray for this morning and for Brian as he speaks to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. I want to invite you to uh, open your Bible or, or stay there if you are already there in Exodus. We are, uh, for the next 10 weeks, looking at the at the Ten Commandments and trying to understand how they relate to us today and how they apply to our life today. So there's a lot of probably some basic understanding or some initial thoughts on what the Ten Commandments are like. And so I hope to bring some clarity this morning to the Second Commandment. But before we do, just some really quick, really, really important context for this. Again, I mentioned this last week, but the key to understanding the Ten Commandments always begins with grace, or the word that is used in Exodus two times is the word rescue, that God will always show his grace to people first and then instruct them how to live. So here's one way to think about it. Rescue before instructions. God never will never rescue his people and then abandon them to live however they want. The word abandon is a really powerful word. So God will always rescue us with his grace. Like we sang this morning, amazing grace. The grace that is the free gift. And one last time on the analogy of the lifeguard. A lifeguard will always rescue you before instructing you. A lifeguard will not yell at you at the beach while you're in the ocean drowning and said, you should have read 
the sign first. They will always make a rescue. And then probably a good lifeguard would instruct you, hey, here's how you avoid the mess you got yourself into. So grace always before instructions, okay? So that is the context. Now, God is not going to abandon us. He's going to teach us how to live. How do we live our lives? So last week was commandment number one. And I said this, the first commandment is that you must not worship other gods other than the one true God. That's commandment one. You must not worship other gods. The second commandment is linked, but it, there's an important distinction, okay? So the second commandment is you must not worship the true God with a mental image of God, but worship him as he reveals himself. We must not worship an image, okay? So here's how this works. The Bible talks about carved images and um, those kinds of things, which maybe sound a little bit foreign to us at first, but... Here's how this works. This happens, um, this happens really easily. You'll, this will make sense to you, all right? Every once in a while, we have a service on the beach, and almost always we have a Good Friday service on the beach. And I think it was last, not last year, this year's Good Friday service that we had a full-on like dolphin party show, and just, the ocean went crazy with dolphins. Whale, it was whales, thank you. I thought it was, I couldn't remember. Whales, some mammal out in the ocean. <laughs> and so thankfully, though, it happened at the end. Because watch, if you've ever, if you've ever uh, experienced this before, if you're, if you're trying to give a lesson on the beach and some whales come by, right, just forget it. Right? What are people going to do? They're going to, let's just be real, they're going to completely tune out whoever's speaking and look at the whales. Right? That's what we all do. Okay? So here is the point. Images... This happens in every area of our life. An image will prevent you from listening. In fact, it might be happening right now. You might be a guy and looking across the tent and see a pretty girl. And you have no idea what I'm saying even right now because you're looking at her. Right? Or if you're a fine young lady. There you go. I stand in the front. If you're a young lady, just look right here. Your eyes, your eye. listen, this is, the, as much as I love the property, and I hope we can stay here as long as we can, but your eyes will always distract you, always distract you. Specifically, here's the point this morning, your eyes will distract you from what God is saying to you. Okay? So watch. A little bird flies in. That happens once in a while. Where do the eyes go? Stop listening to me and we look at the bird. We've had frogs, birds, lizards, all kinds of things here happen, all right? All kinds of really good distractions. So, the second commandment is this. Don't create something that will represent God because the image is not an accurate picture of who God really is. Okay, so today... Today the issue is not literal images. Every once in a while we'll see um, a really fun, cool little rock formation at the beach where somebody has stacked up some stones. But other than that, we are not carving images, okay? To bow down and worship. So this is how we, we read the second commandment and we're like, I, I don't really, this isn't relevant. I don't have a statue in my backyard that I'm bowing down to worship, so let's move on. Okay, so listen, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. In fact, 
the second commandment, the first and second commandments, tremendously important. Okay? Just hugely, hugely important because of this. So here is how we, it works out today. Today, it's not a carved image. It's a mental image. So the second commandment applies to us in this way. Don't create a mental image of what you think God is like because when you do that, you are obscuring, you are concealing the one true God. So here's how this will work out this morning. Um, we'll look at the attraction, the attraction of idolatry, the danger of idolatry, and the solution to idolatry. So the commandment is this, don't create a mental image. Don't create an icon of God from your imagination, God has created the one true icon. His name is Jesus. All right, so the attraction of idolatry, the danger of it, and then the solution to our problem. What is the attraction of using our imagination to create a mental image of God? So if we think about this for a second, this is where Colossians fits in. The word image and imagination are directly linked. So God is saying this, don't use your imagination to create a mental image of what you think God is like. Because God has done that already, and his name is Jesus. And that's where we'll talk about the solution to Colossians. Okay, so I was reading one commentator this week, uh, a guy named Douglas Stewart, and he talks about the historical appeal of idolatry, all right? So, and I just picked out a few of them, and these are really interesting. So this is going back to B.C. time periods of when idolatry and carved images was just a part of life during this time. There is always an attraction to something that we see or appeals to us with a mental image. And the Bible is teaching us this, is that what always looks good isn't always good. And that's the warning of a mental image of God. Your imagination might create some aspect of what you think God is like that's good, but it's incomplete, or it could be wrong. So we have to be really clear about this. Just because something looks good doesn't mean it is good. I... Uh, I hope you guys had um, a cool, or at least a, a unique or powerful youth group experience during your high school years. I, I'll never forget this one story that uh, one of my youth leaders told us. I might have mentioned this once before, but it's the, it, it hits the idea of something that looks good isn't always good or right. Okay, and he told us a story, um, and I have no idea if it's true or not. He said it was, so I don't know if the youth group guys like to tell us really cool stories or what, but the story is this, that um, frontiersmen in Alaska would set up perimeter of their camp at night, and they would take um, a knife, and several knives, and, and bury them in the ground, but before they would do that, they would kill an animal. I don't know what kind of animal. I'm sorry, I'm not want to be too graphic this morning, but then they would use the blood of that animal and it would freeze on the knife. So you'd have a knife with frozen blood on it. 
and then they put a little bit more blood on it, and they'd stick them ar around in a circle around their camp. And so at night, if the wolves came, their instincts would take them to the knives, and they would begin to lick the blood. But the danger of it was that they're actually hurting themselves, right? They begin to cut their mouths. It's a very, very graphic image, and I share that with you, and that, that's stuck with me for over 25 years. The image of that is this. You cannot trust your imagination to create a mental image of what you think God is like and worship that image. God says that is idolatry. You're obscuring the one true God. You're creating a false image of what you think God is like, and we're worshiping that. And it's dangerous. We're hurting ourselves as the graphic image of animals licking a blade and begin to hurt themselves. God uses really strong language to grab our attention and to help us understand how much he loves and cares about us and how dangerous some things can be. Okay, so let's go back to this list, going back in time now, and then we'll relate each of these to today. Douglas Stewart in his commentary on Exodus, looking back at historical truths about idolatry, here was his list. Number one, idolatry was always easy. It was always easy. It was a regular sacrifice that you would offer and you go about your day. It was the idea of creating something simple, that worked for you. Um, one of the main ideas was this, and if you've ever traveled abroad, and especially in Hindu cultures, I remember this, seeing this in Bali when I was in my 20s and walking around, and you see all these little offerings to gods, little bamboo woven things with flowers and things in them. And it was the idea of this, make something that works for you, feed your god, make it easy. And there, there was no requirement back from the god. Okay, so the warning for us today is about this about creating a mental image of God where our walk with God is just easy. It just works for us. A second example that he used was the idea in ancient times that idolatry was convenient. It was convenient. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 2, the Jewish people were ordered to go around to the high mountains and the hills and every under... Every, under every green tree, there were idols, and they were told to destroy them. The idea that idolatry in ancient days was easy, it was convenient, it worked. Okay, and so as we think about this, trying to connect this to our lives today, where we create a mental image of what we think our God should be like, it should be easy, it should be convenient, and if we stay with this, we are in dangerous territory because we are obscuring, we are concealing the one true God. In fact, the tragedy of the, of the nation of Israel in Old Testament times is that many generations later in 1 Kings chapter 14, Solomon's son Rehoboam goes out and does the exact same thing that God told the Israelites to do generations ago. He reestablishes these idols on the mountaintops, on the hills, under every green tree to make it convenient for the Jewish people to create these symbols or these objects that represented Yahweh but was idolatry. It was God of your choice whenever it fits your schedule. 
Next, he mentions the idea of routine. Idolatry in ancient times was easy, it was convenient, it was just part of the routine. And if something disrupts the routine, we don't do it. It was the idea that we all want a God that works on our own time schedule. Next, he mentioned the idea of indulging. Food and drink were an integral part of the idolatry and the, the pagan god system. But what happened was people would bring a meal, uh, a piece of meat, and offer part of it to the idol, offer part of it to the priest who was making the sacrifice, and then part of it you would eat. And so it was this idea of the more food you brought, the more drink you brought, the more appealing that God would be. Pigging out benefited you and the gods. Heavy drinking was also a a part of idol worship in ancient times. The last thing he mentioned was the idea of that ancient idolatry was also erotic. In fact, if we look back, and we go back to the book of Exodus, and when God is giving them these instructions on how to live their lives, they are going into the land of the Canaanites where temple prostitution existed, where child sacrificing was going on. And we begin to understand and have some clarity when God gives instructions, things like do not commit adultery. It was the idea that you are going into a land where temple prostitution was a key part of it, where families would sell their daughters into temple prostitution. Here's how it worked. Temple prostitution was common in the Old Testament, and the idea was this, that all of creation was procreation. Everything that exists had to be born into existence, and the con- this concept of creation and procreation was combined with a, uh, a sympathetic magic. An idea of this, <clears throat> where that if something was done in the temple, some type of sex act, that that would appeal the gods, the procreation aspect, then that would return back with fertile soil and rain, and there would be benefits to the people. So sexuality was directly linked with ancient idolatry. How does this fit today? One study that was interesting uh, that I'll just share with you briefly, it's interesting. This is a study of unmarried 18 to 23-year-old college students, that age range. And the poll, the study was done with two groups of families. One group said that sexual activity was permissive. It was the idea that, that that was an okay lifestyle. That was one family where these people came from. Another group was from, these are male students, waited and they, they were taught to wait until you got married. So those are the two groups. Same age range, 18 to 23. One family, one group came from homes that said, <clears throat> um, premarital sex is fine. The other group says it's better if you wait until you get married. And the statistic is this, 23% of those people who said sexual activity before marriage is okay, 23% of those people are virgins. And the people, the the young men who were raised in homes that said, wait until you get married, 28%. So almost statistically the same. 
when you've got two families, two different ways of raising kids, one says wait, one, one says have sex when you feel like it, one says wait until you get married, statistically then they're almost the same. And people ask questions like this, why, why do things, uh, why are Christians no different than, than the world? Why are things that happen inside the church no different? And part of the answer is this. Here's how we can go on without living our lives. We create a mental image of God that's easy, that's convenient, that's routine, that indulges, that fits our sexual desires. And instead of understanding all of who God is, we take him and make an image with our fallen imagination. And we say, we're going to live our lives this way. This is how we get away with it. And if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, we want to say that we're glad you're here and we understand how much work and how difficult this is to live out the Christian life. But one of the foundational aspects of living out the Christian life is understanding you don't get to create God. None of us do. And that's why God takes us so seriously these commandments, one and two at the very top. And Jesus summarizes these by saying, love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Well, here's some clarity what, to what Jesus was saying. You don't get to create, I don't get to create, none of us get to create the, the mental image of what we think God should be like and live according to that. If we do, we will be a community of people with stunted growth. We just... You cannot grow spiritually as a person if you get to create your own God. You're always doing great. You're never encouraged or challenged to grow. We just create a lifestyle that fits us. And as long as we keep our imagination in line with things we like, then our God will never challenge us or encourage us to grow. So that is the appeal of idolatry, the danger of idolatry. Why does God care if we make a mental image that represents him, and I alluded to this earlier, God cares, he cares significantly, he cares that we don't make a mental image because we obscure or we conceal God. God reveals himself through his word and ultimately through his son, Jesus. The root of our problems is that we create a mental picture of what God is like. And God, in his word, says something like this. Don't worship me as you want me to be. Worship me as I am, as I reveal myself in scripture. We don't get to create our own little God to worship. And I understand that this can be a challenging thing for us to think through because here's what we hear a lot. Maybe we even say something like this. It's common for people to say this. I believe in a God who finished the sentence. My God would never say that. God would never teach us to do this. And the danger of that is creating your own understanding of who God is. And the Bible is just very clear that these statements might look okay at first. They might sound okay at first. But if we think carefully for a moment and just slow down for a second and think about this. Do we really want to worship a God of our own imagination? Is that what we really want? Think about your own imagination. Think about this first, maybe. Think about how 
in many different ways we are flawed. Think about our appetite. We've all eaten things. I've talked about this before. We're starving, and we eat, and we're full, but we think it looks so good to our eyes, and we just keep eating. Our appetite is flawed. Our will is flawed. We get really stubborn about things that don't really matter, and we're super carefree and flexible things that really do matter. Our appetites are flawed, our will is flawed, and guess what? Our imagination is flawed too. All you have to do is just be married for a few years, and you think that you get to put your imagination on what you think your spouse should be, and guess what? Get ready for conflict, right? Nobody, nobody, I don't care if it's marriage relationship, in no relationship do you get to put what you think that person should be and impose that upon them. That is not how relationships work. The Bible is so clear that God reveals himself through his word. That is how God speaks to us today. And ultimately, through his son Jesus. Let me show you, if you have your Bible, just turn for just a moment to Psalms chapter 50. And I'll show you that that, uh, the things we struggle with today are no different than thousands and thousands of years ago. This is Psalms chapter 50, and this is God speaking to his people. Psalms 50, verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, you have, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? Okay, so that's the idea of like us reading the Bible in church and, and doing what I'm doing right now. Verse 17, for you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These, and here's the key verse, these things you have done and I have been silent. Here's the key phrase. You thought that I was like, you thought that I was one like yourself. That's exactly what we're talking about. You thought we, we thought we had a picture, an understanding of who God was, and God is saying, no, you've got it wrong. You're biased, your own presuppositions, your own dislike for certain people, skewing your understanding of who God is. And what happens, here's the, that's one side of it. Here's the other side of it that's maybe just as dangerous that happens in churches too. You turn God into a religious thug bully. That you just want to fix everybody else because you understand who God is because you've memorized a few verses, you think you understand, and you just want to be a religious zealot and intimidate people and think you understand. And God cannot be manipulated. God cannot be controlled. Those were the Pharisees. And in fact, those are the people that Jesus was the most harsh with. The people who were the religious know-it-alls with no humility, no gentleness, no understanding of of who people are. Two different ways we manipulate God. By living however we want or by our own religious rules and systems. And we all have an imagination that pulls one towards the other. God says this, verse 21, But now I rebuke you 
and lay charge before you. That is God saying, it is not our right to try to control or manipulate God. The danger of God, of, of creating a mental picture of God, is that the one true God becomes obscured, becomes invisible. God's Word teaches us that we are not to serve, we are not to worship the God of our imagination, but that there is only one true God we are to worship. Turn in your Bible to, uh, ahead to the New Testament to Colossians. <clears throat> Here is the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Here is the New Testament explanation of the second commandment. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says this, He is the image of the invisible God. That is talking about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the iconoclast. He is the image breaker. Whatever image we have of who we think God is, if you study the Gospels, Jesus will show himself to be the iconoclast. The guy that will blow up, that will destroy our preconceived images, who we think God is. Here's what's interesting. That word in verse 15, he is the image, that is the word icon. Jesus is the icon. He is the image of the invisible God. So God does reveal himself. He shows himself clearly who he is. And his name is Jesus. He is not some creation of our imagination. He is the son of the living God. We are not to make a mental image for ourselves because God has given us the true image of himself. And there's so I'm, I'm not going to, Spent a lot of time in Colossians, but just a few really important things. Verse 16 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. One of the key words that, as Shane was reading this morning, is the word all. That Jesus is all of who God is. And so when we understand the second commandment, it should drive us to understand who Jesus is, to deepen our understanding of who he is, and to change and encourage us, to challenge us, to reignite our love for God's word. Left to our own, we always create our own little mental image of who God is. And that is the significant role of grounding God's word into our heart, into our lives, and so we don't fall into this trap of the second commandment of creating this false image. This icon that we call Jesus came to... Re Here is the purpose of the icon we call Jesus, of the image of the invisible God. Verse 19, if you skip down. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things. The purpose of this image of God is to be a reconciler. First, specifically, God, to, God and people are reconciled through Jesus Christ. That is his role. The danger of creating 
a God, and we can say this, the danger of creating a God that fits into our pocket, our little pocket God that we can just keep right here, is that it obscures the real God. We cannot be people, we cannot be a community of people who love Jesus and say, God, as long as you stay in my pocket right here, everything is good. God never fits in our pocket. He is never restrained by our own imagination. He has come to rescue us, to redeem us. Verse 21 goes on to elaborate. And you who were once alienated in a hostile mind, again, our mind, our imagination, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body by flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. That is the instructions part of life. That that is God's desire for our life. That we would be reconciled to God by Jesus Christ so that we would live a life that is holy and blameless, above reproach. That is how we progress. That is how we move forward. That is how we enjoy our relationship with Jesus. I'm going to finish up with this. Turn, turn to uh, one page to Colossians chapter 3. Paul warns us. Here is the danger. The danger of God in your pocket is this. This list of things that Paul talks about. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness. And he calls these things idolatry. And he calls them idolatry because people... If we stay involved with that lifestyle, we've manipulated God that, and created a God that works for us. The rescue or the solution to God in our pocket is to always look to Jesus Christ, to look to His Word, to change our attitude about God's Word. We need a, re, a reprogramming of our attitude towards God's Word a reprogramming of our attitude towards Jesus Christ, who is the true and living God. As we move forward as people in our marriages, in our relationships, in our friendships, as a community of believers here, we always have to be on guard about creating a mental image of God that distorts the one true God. His name is Jesus. And we do that by regularly spending time in God's Word and allowing God's Word to reveal himself to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the clarity of your word, and I thank you how, how it shows us we are naturally bent towards our own views, our own selfishness, towards moving ourselves to the center. And as we understand the truth that you want us to live by, that if we fall into the trap of creating a mental image of what you should look like, that Jesus would come into our lives and reorder, move things around, and help us to better understand what it means to follow you. We thank you so much for the truth that's in your word. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you give us your grace each day. We ask these things in your name. Amen.